over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series on parables. Uh, we've been talking through some of the short stories that Jesus used as a teaching mechanism during his ministry. And um, they are short stories or short statements, but they have profound truth and meaning that's often uh, deeper than just the surface of the words that you hear. And so today, I actually want to do something we haven't done in the series, which is highlight several parables that are related to a common theme that reoccurs throughout Jesus' ministry. The title of my message today is A Paradoxical Kingdom. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a refresher of what the definition of the word paradox is and what it means uh, if you need that this morning. But I want to just kind of get you on the path of thinking of what a paradoxical kingdom and a paradoxical king means. So Jesus really, truly challenged the status quo. He challenged the current um, conventional thinking of the day, the religious leaders of the day. In their eyes, Jesus intruded on their traditions that had been well-established for, at that point, roughly about 2,000 years. Um, Cultural, religious history uh, that they had already experienced. His arrival didn't come with the fanfare of a royal birth. Uh, We're going to celebrate that sooner than you think. Do you realize how time is just flying by this year. Um, I'm excited to get there, but it's like, it's the speed of light these days. I feel like January lasted a really long time and then February, and then it kind of went March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and we're here. (laughs) It just went really fast. But his birth was not as expected to have been something that would be of royalty. Uh, It didn't have that same like or fanfare uh, with it. His teachings, Jesus' teachings, unsettled those who were religious um, because of their traditions and how they understood their religion. It unsettled them. And in fact, if we could use some casual terms, it ticked off a lot of people. It really upset a lot of people. There were some who were curious and really wanted to know, hey, what's this guy all about? But others were pretty much like, who does he think he is? And so thinking about that, his death seemed to be untimely. I mean, I've been in ministry now for over 20 years. Jesus, and I'm like just getting started in the history of what, you know, what my life is. But Jesus really only truly had three years in ministry before being brought to this sham of a trial, and then crucified, executed by a foreign entity, no less, at the, at the inspiration or the goading of his own people. But then his resurrection, it's inconceivable. At that point, they had not had those, those things talked about that, oh yeah, so did you hear about Crystal over in Clinton, Mississippi? Yeah, she died the other day, but she's back to life. Like, it it was not a common occurrence. It was inconceivable that that kind of thing would happen. And his status as the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of the world, the Savior of all those who call upon him, was in question then, and it remains in question even today for millions of people. And it's unknown to millions and millions of people today. 
So things kind of are a little bit backwards when we think about Jesus. In fact, I would say it like this. Jesus was a paradox. A paradox could be defined as this. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained ends up being well-founded or true. (laughs) So... It's not just that somebody told something that's like unbelievable or hard to believe. It's really truly that once you dig deep into it, you realize, "Mm, yeah, that did sound really odd, but it's absolutely true. So Jesus was a paradox and so is his kingdom. And I want to talk about his kingdom today. We who are believers have been granted citizenship In this great kingdom, what we call the kingdom of God, what Jesus referred to as the kingdom of heaven. And the interesting part about that is, this again is something that's flipped upside down to their understanding. It's available to every human who's ever lived. You don't have to be a Jew to get in, which is great for you and I. Uh, but it could be upsetting to those who thought it was exclusive. And so there have been many things about his kingdom that we uh, have come to understand. And we have the benefit of hindsight. But we've been granted as believers citizenship in his kingdom. And even further than that, I want you to think about this on the heels of the death of someone in a royal family. Who they then have uh, taken the, the time to mourn. They've paraded through town after town. Many people grieving the loss. She, as, as the queen, served more than 70 years in the monarchy. It's an incredible testament to faithfulness over time. Now, and she did speak about the character of Jesus Christ and things in the Bible. I don't know where she stood when it came to all of those things and her final eternal destination. But you don't know what it's like to live in a kingdom because you live in America. A kingdom is different. One that's ruled by a king or a queen is different, vastly different than the republic that we live in here in America. So we've got to kind of switch our thinking from being all about the independence and you can do anything you want to, make any choice you want to, live your best life kind of thinking that we as Americans champion And when we come to faith in Christ, we actually have to sacrifice some of that cultural understanding in order to adapt into or be adopted into this kingdom. Because it's still a paradoxical kingdom. Jesus says all sorts of things that are different than what we would assume. He says, you want to be great? Then you better wash somebody's feet. I mean, these are casual paraphrases, but Jesus is basically saying, if, if you want to be the greatest, then you've got to be the least. If you want to be exalted, you've actually got to be humble. It just, it's totally reverse thinking. So here's the cool thing about the kingdom, though. Not only as a believer have you been granted citizenship and given that certificate that says you are in the kingdom... He's done it one step further and actually adopted you into the royal family. 
That's incredible when you think about it. The fact that he calls us as believers a royal priesthood. The word of God says that we have been grafted in. Romans 11 says that we as Gentiles have been grafted in to the royal family. It's incredible when you think about it. Abraham and Sarah became first-time parents at the ages of 190 respectfully, or respectively, sorry. Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, one of 12 brothers, their families and their descendants then grew into a nation. Then, after time, there was a king who was nominated and elected, voted in, however you want to look at the, the side of history, but Saul was allowed to become the king of the people, and he was dethroned by God himself, and God anointed a new king to put on that throne. I'm going to give you a brief history of the people of Israel that you've been grafted into their royal family, God's royal family. So then David, now listen to this, it's a paradox, David is called a man after God's own heart even though he had committed adultery. There's something incredible there for you to see the, uh, the potential for redemption and the grace of God and forgiveness of God that he would, at some point in Scripture, call us not only sons but friends of God. That's amazing when you think about his kingdom and where they've come from. Then God used religious prophets to pastor the people and prepare them for a Messiah and prepare them to receive him who would rescue them. So they were looking for rescue. You have to understand as we talk about this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is going to reference in several parables that we talk through today, you've got to understand there was a lot of confusion in those days because people thought he was coming in the midst of them being in a type of exile, being refugees essentially in their own homeland, that they thought he was coming to set up a physical kingdom in the here and now. And he's going to kick some Roman butt. And we're going to just have a great old time together. He's going to just knock them all off their high horses. And we're going to... But he was setting up something else. A kingdom that is eternal. And he was honoring a promise. If you ever doubt the promise of God. He was honoring a promise he made to King David, that there would always be a descendant on his throne in Israel. By establishing Jesus and God sending his son Jesus as that descendant of David. So they wondered if this promised king would come. Then Jesus arrives on the scene and he starts saying things like this. Look at Matthew chapter 19 verse 14. He says things like this, let the little children come to me and do not stop them, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. 
So the disciples are standing there with Jesus. I'm imagining it's hot out. They're under a shade tree somewhere. There's a crowd of people. And some mamas and daddies are pushing their way through to let their kids get up and see this great teacher who's been teaching and sharing and giving hope to people and talking about some awesome, awesome things. And the disciples go, um, <laughs> hey, uh, can you take the little ones and go put them somewhere else, please? Like they don't really belong here. And Jesus replies with this and says, no, 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 let them come to me and don't stop them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Was he saying he only lets kids in the kingdom? No. If you have been a believer for any period of time, you'll understand that having the faith, possessing the faith of a child is important. Sometimes we get old in our faith and jaded. Is that just me? Okay, we get old and well-established in our traditional faith, and we stop believing that God can still heal, save, set free, deliver, and completely transform life. So the religious people thought the kingdom belonged to the powerful, to the successful, to those mature, rule-following adults. Not Surely not to the kid who's picking and eating his boogers. Like, not that one, right? But Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I think kids are important to God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. All the kids shout amen. Then Jesus says other things like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. This is a hard pill to swallow. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've talked with many people throughout my years in ministry, and I've even been guilty of it a time or two as well. Oh, why is the devil on my back? Why, why are all these things happening? This is just horrible. I'm, I, feel, I feel like I'm getting persecuted and chased down. Let me just explain something to you. Jesus says here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I'm going to tell you that that's the person who actually gets fired from their job because they take a stand for moral faith and belief in Jesus. That's not really any of us yet. You say, Pastor, is there good news coming? Um, There's a tribulation coming, but we'll talk about that in another sermon. Persecuted for righteousness sake, made fun of because you believe in God, gotten a deal taken away from you financially that you could have prospered from simply because of your faith, maybe had, your, maybe had threats against your family or your friends because you live in a place that is not open to the gospel as a result of you following God. Jesus says this is who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. A, I don't want to be persecuted. And B, I don't want to be persecuted for my faith. I'd rather live in America, so far so good, where I don't have much persecution for my faith. But there have been bakery owners who have been taken to the Supreme Court because of their faith. Hello? So we need to understand that there's a blessing even when we're persecuted. According to Jesus, the kingdom belongs to people like that. Look at what Matthew chapter 7 says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. 
Jesus is talking again and he says this. In fact, this is still part of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. But verse 21, he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, verse 22, on that day, meaning the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your, in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Other versions say you workers of iniquity. You say, well, pastor, that sounds like a tough passage for pastors. It is. It's something that keeps us in check, but it should be something that keeps every believer in check because just doing good things in the name of God does not secure you a a ticket into the kingdom. It's about the motivation of your heart. It's about the, the status of your heart. And if it's been opened and given to God for it to do his will, this is really terrifying when you think about it. The fact that on the day of judgment, people will have said, we did these things in your name. Some of them of a, if I could put it like this, of a high quality nature spiritually. Like how many of you have ever casted out a demon? Anybody in here? Okay. So I'm talking about like a top tier activity in the kingdom of God that not all of us have participated in. And there will be people even at that level who have done greater things for God than you and I have who who may not have done them with the right intention and the right heart or even done them in the absence of a true relationship with Jesus Christ and he will banish them and get rid of them and say, depart from me. Many of Jesus' parables involve the kingdom. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 13. Jesus spoke this parable. It says this in chapter 13, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Stay there for a second. Look up at me. How many of you remember something about a mustard seed somewhere else in scripture? Anybody? Okay. What is the one word that starts with an F? Loud. Faith. Faith. Like a mustard seed. Okay. So Jesus is using this idea of a mustard seed, which if you've ever looked at them are tiny. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 32, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree or like a tree so that the birds of the air can come and even make nests in its branches. Can I just break this down for you? What Jesus is trying to say is that the kingdom or not that I'm doing better than what he tried to say. I'm just trying to explain what it means. And that is this. The kingdom may look insignificant 
to the world around it. But the truth of the matter is, God's kingdom is larger than all the kingdoms of the world that have ever existed, put together, (laughs) combined. That the kingdom of God, once its seed has been sown, great things can come from it. It's amazing. He goes on to share immediately another parable. Verse 33, he tells them another one. He says this, the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. How many of you have ever baked bread? Raise your hand. Okay. It's a pretty interesting process. One I don't have the patience for. Okay. I could not could not care less. If, if you give me a starter that's already been started, I'm okay. But really, like I've been with a loaf of bread raw maybe twice in my life. I, I couldn't care less because I can buy good stuff like Hawaiian rolls at the supermarket that got flown in from Hawaii. I can get sourdough bread. I can get biscuits made by, you know, Miss Schubert or whatever, yeast rolls. I, I can get all of that stuff. So like, why do it yourself? Okay. But if you've ever done it yourself, you will understand in all of those bread items that I just mentioned, they have a tiny, tiny little pouch of leaven, yeast, that goes into the dough. That little bit of yeast. So hear what Jesus is saying, that the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, I'm not sure, I studied it like literally all week to try to figure it out. But the best I could come up with is this. 60 pounds of flour. That's essentially the consensus. So she took leaven, enough to leaven 60 pounds of flour and got it all in there. And he says that the kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that's influenced the dough and literally changed the the aspects of the dough. A small amount of yeast or leaven makes a big impact. Every single speck wields an influence. So Jesus is saying something even deeper than the previous parable he just shared about, yes, it's, it's large and it's larger than you think. It's not as insignificant as people will say, but here's where he takes it one step further and he says, and its influence is going to be felt literally on all corners of the world in every aspect of life. It may take time to see its results. I just shared with you the testimony of my brother He's older than me, um, 45, I guess he is. It's taking time for the Lord to do his work, for the kingdom of God, for the seed to be that had been sown for year upon year upon year to come to life. But I'm believing that at some point that bread's getting made. <laughs> Praise God, that bread is getting made. So it may take time to see results, but there's no doubt it will be more significant than we even know. This gives me hope. Because if that's true of the kingdom of God, it must be true of the work of God in the people who are citizens in the kingdom. That we talk about patience is a virtue, but I'm telling you, 
Those that wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed, the Bible says. Patiently waiting. The Bible tells us, actually the Apostle Paul says this, that we should patiently wait for his reappearing, for his return, for his coming back. That's the hope that we have. So as we've talked through a couple of those parables, which were very short, that Jesus gives those statements of profound truth, I want to talk as we come towards the halfway mark. I want to talk about the identity and the behavior and the influence of the citizens of this kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this, it's like that. I want you to understand what it is that the people of the kingdom are supposed to look like. How many of you have ever met somebody who said they were a Christian, but you knew they weren't a Christian? It's okay to raise your hand. Oh, I don't want to be judgy in church. No, it's okay for you to raise your hand and just say, yeah, you know what? Nothing in their life looked like the behavior of a believer. So I guess I'm going to have to go with not a believer. Here's some of the deal, some of the, some of the challenge that we face as believers is once we've gained the identity of becoming a citizen and being adopted in the family of God, it comes with responsibilities. Now, when I encourage my children, ask them sweetly and kindly to help unload the dishwasher, there may be grunting and huffing and deep sighs and exhales. I've heard of people that we know that have children that don't load and unload the dishwasher. Don't let that be you, child, whoever you are. We should all participate. So here's what I'm saying. You've got the identity of a child of God, which means you will have behaviors fitting with a child of God. People in the world act to be seen and applauded by others. That's why they've climbed Mount Everest. I mean, it's a personal achievement or whatever, but they want to be seen. They want to be noticed. They broke ground on a brand new construction site for a great building, a skyscraper. They want their name everywhere. They want the plaudits of people. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he talks about this. In the kingdom, we are to act secretly toward one another In the best of ways, not secretly whispering about each other, but in the best of ways, secretly doing kind things and good works for one another in the kingdom so that we can be rewarded by God himself. I talked about it recently. Jesus has this challenge come up throughout his ministry all the time. In fact, there's this great story about this person, two people who are praying, and the Pharisee really loudly, he's praying and he's going, thank God I'm not like that guy over there. Well, he's already gotten the, the plaudit that he's looking for or the, the accolade, but God in his kingdom says we're to act secretly to be rewarded. In fact, we're supposed to do this when it comes to giving to others. Not to be seen by men, but to actually be rewarded by God. Because here's what it does. It keeps your heart in check. It may not give you the good feeling of if everybody knew what I did. I mean, I'd get pats on the back and people would invite me out to dinner. And But God says he will have a reward for those who give to others not to be seen by men, but to be seen by God. We talk about prayer and fasting. 
Jesus highlights that as well. He says the Pharisees and those others, oh, why do you look down? Oh, I've been fasting for four hours. I'm famished, but I'm serving God. You know, that kind of thing is not really what it's about. Let me answer a question that many people have about fasting. It's okay to talk about it, though, from time to time. You can tell your wife, your husband, you can have a private conversation. You could even come to your pastor and say, pastor, I'm trying to fast more. Can you pray for me? I'm having a struggle. Like, that's okay. What Jesus is saying is you can't be shouting it from the rooftops, dressing different, not washing your face or putting your makeup on and that kind of stuff, making yourself look haggard and worn and all this stuff just so that people will say, gee, what's wrong with you? Well, I'm serving God. I mean, because obviously here's, here's the thing. I don't think God wants that image. <laughs> he would much rather a joyful image of someone who's serving God regardless of their circumstance, who's seeking God even in the hardships of life that are still pursuing joy and hope and peace. Amen? Other things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't worry about your life, your food, and your clothing. The world does that. They worry about climbing a corporate ladder and getting the next job and all the other things. He says, don't worry about those things. Trust instead in your heavenly father. This is a complete shift because we've been taught, even as Americans, no, you get what you've earned and you keep what you earn, hopefully, without the 87,000 new, never mind, it's three weeks in a row. My, my joke's old now. <clears throat> Anyway, you should be able to keep what you earn and earn whatever you want to and pursue what you want. But here's what God's word says. We're to trust in him because he knows what we need. And the Bible says he cares for you. I've prayed for pets before, y'all. God cares enough for you. He cares about the things you care about. Now, we're not going to have a blessing of the pets ceremony or anything like that, okay? For that, you can go down the road. I'm sure they do that once a year. And don't you dare bring a cat in this church. I'm just saying. I'm making enemies. Never mind. Let me move on. Jesus says, don't judge others. Worry about yourself. Right? Focus on your own faults. Enter, go, go the hard way and get in by the narrow gate. Don't go the wide road that everybody else is going. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, they get exalted. Those who are least become the greatest. Things are different in the kingdom of God. So here's the thing that I'm trying to help you see today. In Jesus' parables, and he, he talks in other ways about the kingdom of God. He says it's like a net. He talks about judgment. There's this wild parable that we may share in the series that he talks about a person sowing, a, a farmer sowing seed, and he gets sabotaged in the middle of the night. An enemy comes in and sows other seed. And then harvest comes, and bad stuff grows up beside the good stuff. And the workers ask the, the owner and say, hey, can't believe this because you, you did good stuff. You put good seed in the ground. Where did this come from? He says, somebody sabotaged me. And he says, well, what should we do? What should we do about it? The workers ask him. He says, let it grow up together. And then at harvest time, we'll destroy it and get rid of it. Things are different 
in the kingdom of God. It's different than our American understanding and ideologies. And it's a challenge for you and I to check our heart, to check our motivation, to check the status of our relationship with God. If it's hot, if it's cold, if it's growing, if it's thriving. Those sorts of things are important for us as believers. In fact, when I was a kid, and probably no one in this room will know this material if I mention the curriculum, but the curriculum that I went through as a kid, literally all 12 grades, was a specific um, biblical-based curriculum. And about halfway through in school, halfway through every single one of the booklets that we did, there was something called a self-test And you sat there, teacher watching you, no other books around, two pages in front of you, you couldn't flip through the rest of the booklet, and you had to test your knowledge and the retention of everything that you'd studied up until that point. Today, what I want to encourage you to do is perform one of those in your spiritual walk with God from time to time, and maybe even today is a great day for you to do that. The Apostle Paul talks about the kinds of people that God has chosen to be part of his kingdom. And for the most part, they are people you would not have picked. <laughs> Look around the room. If you were in charge, you probably would have picked the most richest, the most powerful, the prettiest, the most handsome, the this, the that, the you know, noble birth, the all the things. But God isn't like that, which is great for me, and it's great for you. But look at what the Apostle Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look with me in verse 26. He says this, and he's, he's talking to the Corinthians that are making up uh, the church. They, they, they compose the church in Corinth. He's talking to them about making sure that they understand that there's a job to be done and a purpose for the kingdom. He says this in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, or your version may say according to the flesh. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world's eyes to shame the wise or the strong. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So nobody can say, I earned it. I got here on my own works. Paul is making it very clear to the church. And he says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if there's anything to be proud about, you should be proud about the fact that God lets you in the door. 
It's not that you've given a certain amount of time to the church. It's not that you've knocked on a few neighbors' doors and delivered an apple pie with a little scripture verse. It's not that you've given a certain amount of money in an offering. It's that God has let you in the door. That he, he chose you of all. He chose you. This echoes what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He tells the people of Israel way back in the old days, before Jesus ever came. He says this in verse 6 of the people that have been chosen. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Listen to me. I don't want to get too deep in a theological like rabbit trail. I believe with all of my heart that God has a plan of redemption for people that are Jewish. Okay? The people of God originally chosen. And I don't think that the church has completely replaced Israel. But I will say this. You can look at this and understand God was speaking at a specific time to only a specific people. But you've been grafted into that very family because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you can hear these words today. You are God's treasured possession. And out of all peoples on the face of the earth, you are the ones that are treasured. That's amazing when you think about it. Verse 7, he tells the Israelites, it's not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord, I love that phrase, that the Lord set his love or his affection on you. And he chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath or the promise that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Listen to me, church. When they go into Babylonian exile years later after they'd been in Egyptian exile, these words should have been an encouragement that filled their hearts with hope it should still be an encouragement to us today that our God is a promise-keeping God and that he loves you and he's still keeping his promise that he made to Abraham thousands of years ago by allowing you to be part and parcel of his kingdom, but more than that, to be a son or a daughter of the king. It's amazing. And the hope that's, that's there in that last verse in verse 8 when it says that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, you know what that tells me? There's hope for someone like my brother who's still a slave to sin. There's still hope for anyone who's in any sort of bondage. God, there, there is nothing impossible with God, amen? He can set free, he can redeem, he can change, he can transform, he can do what he wills with the people that allow him to. God did not choose the noble, the wise, or the strong. And it's okay if you are. <laughs> We're glad that you are. Noble, wise, strong, any of those things, great. But I think the reason 
that God, and we'll find out when we get there, but my assumption is that God chose a people like Israel so that in the future, all would feel the ability to enter in. That it's not exclusionary, that it's inclusive, that it is literally anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. So, this is the type of kingdom that you and I are in. So we do need to perform some action steps, some applications from the different things that, we're talk th- that we talked through today, some applications that we need to look at to make sure that we understand it is not about human achievement or accolades or accomplishments or anything of that nature. God himself is at the heart of the kingdom. So pleasing him and doing his will, even if it sounds stupid to other people, even if it sounds absurd to other people, even if it's something where you're like, well, I don't want to be, listen, if it's something that is God's will and something in your wheelhouse, I say, go for it. Amen. Do it. But rather, rather than thinking about it being human achievement, think about it as God being at the heart of the kingdom, and we serve him. We've been talking about this reoccurring theme that we can't just be the people who walked an aisle at the age of five to try to have gotten a ticket. Well, the pastor gave me a ticket that day to get in. We've got to be the people who understand God is not American. And I know that can be kind of strange to hear. he's, He's not. He has his own kingdom and his own setup, and we are his servants and his sons and daughters. So it should be something that we clarify all of the things in our life with by saying, is this something that God wants me to do? Major decisions. You've heard my joke about milk or orange juice in the morning. Don't stand there and wait for God to speak to you about which one to pick, okay? But the major life decisions... God wants involved in, he wants to be pleased by your activity in. There are three simple applications that we can make today as we've talked about the paradox of the kingdom of God and what the behaviors of the people of God are to look like. And one of them might have struck a chord with you and you say, oof, I have not been doing that one right Well, then today's the day that you can receive forgiveness and grace and walk in a new direction. But here's what I'd have to say. The first thing that you should do is check your pride. No one wants to do this. I don't want to do this. No one ever wants to do this because we have a natural tendency to gravitate towards things that feel good and make us feel good and look good and all the things. But in the quietness of just a moment with the Lord as the worship team plays in the next minute or two, Lord, would you examine my heart? Holy Spirit, is there any activity in my life that my pride is the focus rather than your kingdom and your will? The second application is this. Check your commitment. If he's Lord, if he's Savior rather, and Lord of your life, 
then we are to be committed to doing his will. This is not your pastor saying that your good works can get you into heaven, but I'm telling you, if you love Jesus, you will do good works, right? If we love the king that we serve, then we'll serve him with gladness in our heart. So maybe it's time that you check your commitment level. The third application is this, and it's a question I've been asking myself recently. What is it that you are doing to grow the kingdom of God? Grow the kingdom of God. Now, how that translates in each mind that's here, each set of ears that hear me say that is gonna be different, but I'll give you a a small example. Am I living the life of a believer? Am I sharing my faith with others? That would be a good, good way for me to know whether I'm helping to grow the kingdom of God. If I'm planting seeds in other people's lives, maybe it could be about giving. Am I tithing? Am I giving to the kingdom to grow the kingdom, the ministries of the church, that kind of thing? It could be about a myriad of different things, but the one I'm focused on for myself and have been is what am I doing to grow the kingdom of God? You say, well, pastor, you're a pastor in a church though. Aren't you growing? You're growing the kingdom of God. There's still more that can always be done. And with God's grace and his help and his leading, I want to help be a builder of the kingdom of God. Amen. So close your eyes with me. Check your pride. Check your commitment. And see where you stand in growing the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray to the God of heaven, the king of all that you by your Holy Spirit as a gift to us the church would speak to every one of our hearts today Lord help us to be filled with hope because of the knowledge that we've received today about your kingdom and the joy that fills our heart knowing that we've been grafted in to your family but God help us to check our pride our commitment level and Lord help us to be those who grow and spur on good things in the kingdom of God rather than detract from it or sidetrack it. God, today I pray you would help us as we make decisions in your presence, as we make commitments today in your presence. Lord, help us to serve you with all of our hearts. If you're here today and every eye is still closed, nobody's looking around, you say, Pastor, I'm not in the kingdom of God and I, and I want to be it could be that simple today I want to tell you the good news is all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner confess that Jesus is your Lord and choose to walk in faith toward him leave your sin and your life behind the old life behind and walk into a relationship with him If you'd like to do that today for the very first time, you say, I've I've never done that kind of thing before. I don't know what to do. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand wherever you are? I'd love a chance to pray with you. If there's anyone like that here today and you say, I want to get saved today and make Jesus the Lord of my life. Lord, I thank you that there are believers in this room 
Lord, I hope that those who are watching this on Facebook are believers as well. But Lord, if there aren't, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict of sin and unrighteousness and fill with hope for salvation. God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is a kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused, kingdom-growing church. Lord, we do that through our missions giving and through reaching out. Lord, through the different aspects of ministry that we do. But God, help us to do more and better and greater because you deserve it, Lord.